You must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by Of all the podcasts in all the web You chose to listen to mine it again, Sam. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by. Hello, good afternoon. How are we all? Welcome again. It's Sam, and uh, we're here talking about business and technology once again. It's Wednesday afternoon. Uh, my guest today is a very good friend of mine, uh, who was also my boss once upon a time. Hello, Mr. Paul Ayres. Hey, Sam. How are you? Very well. Very well, indeed. Now, Paul and I used to work together at Netscape many, 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 many years ago, as we were counting the grey hairs and lost count after about a thousand. Um <laughs> But yeah, we we've we were recaling just now at Cooper's about some of the old stories. But before we do, Paul, let's explain who you are and what you do today. Yep. Okay. So um, I work for a company called Connected Curb. So Connected Curb is a new UK-based startup, and we focus on the provision of uh, smart city nodes that also enable people to charge their electric vehicles. So we're a very topical, very green, very sustainable business. And I guess we're sort of um, right at the front of the headlines in terms of dealing with the transition from petrol and diesel vehicles and enabling the transition to electric vehicles. So that's what we're all about as a business. Okay. And Connected Curb, where are you based? We're based in Holborn in okay. London, although a uh, couple of the founders and I live uh, out in this neck of the woods. So we do have an unofficial office rather locally to hear. <laughs> the working from home office. The working from home <clears throat> office, yes. Okay. And, and how long have Connected Curb been going? Uh, we've been going about 18 months now. So the company was incorporated uh, late 2017. Uh, although we've really only been based in the office in Holborn for about a year. Um, and in that year, what we've done is taken a, a great idea from uh, two of our founders who are civil engineers and transport specialists and brought that through prototype phase into test phase and now I've got live product on the streets that enable people to charge their cars. And I guess our standard use cases, we support those people that don't have off-street parking. So imagine you live in a town or a city, you haven't got a driveway, you can't install your own plug socket. On that basis, we work with councils to implement our own solutions on classic residential roads. And that's uh, that's something that we're seeing huge growth right now uh, in the business. And it's pretty exciting as well. So we're uh, hopefully helping the world and getting people mobile too. So it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I've been on the website. What is the website URL quickly? It's uh, connectedcurb, K-E-R-B dot com or dot co dot UK. Okay, so I went on the website. One of the interesting things about the product is it, it's uh, recycled tyres and recycled plastic, which yeah, is great. So not only are you green on the energy <laughs> side, you're, you're, you're sustainable on the other side. We are, yeah. Um, so, yeah, one of our products is a product called the Armadillo. It's made from recycled lorry tyres. The Armadillo. The Armadillo. Okay. Um, so the idea of the Armadillo is it's this industrial strength, incredibly robust product that's manufactured from these recycled lorry tyres. So it's very green, very sustainable. And the idea is you literally could drive a tank over it and the tank would lose so the idea is that, and i know that's relevant for you with your background yes <laughs> i still i'm still in trouble for nicking a tank in germany <laughs> um so the good news is yeah so that's one of our products although what we've had to do is diversify a lot so a number of the organizations that we talked to have said to us you know golly we love the armadillo but 
what about if we've already got existing street furniture like lampposts or instruction signs? So what we've also got a bunch of products that you can mount on existing street furniture so we're not causing new clutter on the streets. We're basically providing sympathetic settings and sympathetic technology. Uh, And that seems to be very much in keeping with what residents want and what the councils want. Okay, so... Uh, you said you've got some examples already out there. Where where could someone see an armadillo? Well, you can actually go to Alma Road in Windsor, not a million miles away from okay. here. And there are four in the Royal Borough. In the Royal Borough, there are four of our products uh, out there in Alma Road. Very much an, an early pilot or test site that we've been running with the uh, Windsor and Maidenhead team. Um, what's really exciting about that is, I think at the end of this week or early next, we're actually loaning. Uh, three or four electric vehicles to local residents to enable them to try okay. electric vehicles. The idea being uh, it's great putting the infrastructure in place and that's critical to what we do, but it's also good to try and help people understand the value of electric vehicles. So at the moment, there's a lot of misconception about um, what's involved in owning an EV, but the reality is once you try one, they're incredibly good fun to drive. They're very fast, very efficient. They're also incredibly cheap to operate and run as well. Yeah, now, it's always been a question of mine. Yeah. Um, what is the cost of producing one mile of electric energy right. compared to one mile of petrol energy? Are we at a par yet, or is electric cheaper? Uh, it's miles cheaper. So um, your sort of cost of motoring with an average petrol or diesel vehicle is going to be 30 to 40p a mile. Okay. If you were to charge your car on an overnight cheap electric tariff, you'd be looking at 6 to 7p a mile. Okay, so, so massively Massive difference, so okay. a factor of sort of 80 90% cheaper. But car ownership's still not cheaper yet, would you say? Uh, yeah, I would say that. Um, so there are two parts to it. Electric vehicles are still very expensive because the cost of battery is still very high because you're using rare earth materials in the manufacture of the batteries. So that's the first thing. What, lithium? Lithium and others. So okay. we're seeing some evolutionary stuff going on in the battery uh, development space. But right now, the main... Um, nature of uh, electric vehicle batteries is lithium. Um, but there's no second-hand market either, Sam, because they're so new that right. there isn't that secondary market. And when there's no secondary market, the premium of the vehicle remains pretty high. So that's certainly a challenge, although what we're seeing is places like China, mainly China, starting to release vehicles that make the accessibility of an electric vehicle much, much easier, much more affordable. And that's pretty exciting. So we think by the end of this year, early next, there'll be a whole raft of new EVs available for people to buy, which aren't going to be prohibitively expensive. Okay. So um, let's assume you've got your EV. Yep. Um, are there any grants, anything that people can get? I mean, w- what's the government doing to help in this space? Uh, that's a good question. So um, the government's doing two things. So they'll sponsor the cost of your plug socket at home if you're lucky enough to have a driveway and be able to install one so you can get a 500 pound kickback from the government to do that yeah the other thing is if you buy a pure ev not a hybrid but a pure ev then the government will give you a recognition of about three and a half thousand pounds which you can set against the cost of your vehicle Uh, they were offering that same uh, value to hybrid vehicles these are vehicles that have both battery and traditional engines but that was withdrawn uh, late last year. So we're now it's just for pure EVs. And I think the rationale for that is that hybrids, while they're wonderful cars, actually uh, it's been proven that they're actually worse than driving a petrol or diesel vehicle. Why is that? Well, the range is only 20 to 30 miles. Yeah, yeah. I, and nobody charges them. They're much heavier than traditional cars. So the emissions that they release in carrying these batteries around that are oh, never okay. used are greater than, than the vehicles that are out there on the roads today. Yeah, my next door neighbour is the marketing director for BMW. Okay. And he's got uh, one of the electric X4, X5s. Yep. Right. Or yeah. Hybrid yeah. X5s. Yep. Uh, 
and I can't say his name because he'll get sacked, but he said not to buy one. Uh, yeah, I mean, we certainly would uh, agree with that in that, look, they have a place. I mean, the average car journey is about 40 miles and the average plug-in hybrid doesn't cover 40 miles. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit of a go-figure situation. I mean, they're a stopgap, but we don't think they're a long-term solution. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's the transition phase. Right. So... Um, one of the other big fears for owners of EVs, and I know you're not an EV company, as in the sense you're not selling cars, but right. you, you, you must come across this, and it must relate to your business, is the distance you can travel on a pure EV. Now, the Teslas are at 300 miles, let's say, average 200 more likely. Yep. Uh, they've built supercharger stations around Europe as well, not just in the States. Yep. Um, if you manage to convince many local councils to implement your solution. Yeah. What's your charging model? How do you make money out of this? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. So, the, 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 there's a, there are a number of different answers to that question. So, okay. I won't bore your listeners with all of the answers. I'll just try and give you a, a, a sort of a catch-all. So, the councils that we talk to vary from wanting to own and operate their own charge point network right the way through to not really caring as long as the infrastructure is in place for their residents and everything in the middle. Okay, so one could be a lease model, one could be an ownership model. Exactly right. And so we support everything from owning, operating, managing, installing and uh, reporting on the use of charge points right the way through to selling our kit to a council that may want to operate their own network and everything in the middle too. So um, there's no cookie-cutter approach to how we work and our experience in having spoken to quite literally hundreds of these organisations across the UK is that no one is the same. Okay. So uh, it's kind of an interesting interesting uh, model. What's the pushback? Why why are they not adopting faster? Are, uh, is, is it competition that you have in the market or is it uh, the fact that councils are just poor? Uh, well, <laughs> Uh, I've got to be really careful here. No, I don't think councils... <laughs> Sorry, that's are... not leading you down the path. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Um, I don't think councils are poor. Um, and it's it's interesting... Well, they are, because my council tax keeps going up. Uh, well, no, they're clearly not poor then, because they're making more out of you and everyone else. So I think the, the reality is there's inertia from a council perspective, and there's good reason for that, because what um, the government legislation that was brought through over sort of 18 months ago says is that after 2040, we won't be able to buy a petrol or a diesel car. That leaves us in this huge chasm problem, which is there are 31 million private light goods vehicles in the UK, of which less than 200,000 are either plug-in hybrid or pure EV, which means that we've got less than 0.35% of one percentage point EV, and we've got 20 years to transition the other 30 million. Now, if you look... like Brexit, it'll all be done at the end. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so what we're seeing is we're seeing councils having to adopt brand new technology, new business models, and nobody's done it before. And it's, this is not easy, and it's, it's kind of frustrating in that uh, recently, and I won't name the national broadcasting entity in the UK, but they, they spent... Uh, uh, a good portion of their time reporting on how bad a job the councils have done, which we think is completely unfair, because councils are wrestling with a, a Herculean challenge, which is how do I implement infrastructure for the 50-odd percent of people that don't have off-street <coughs> parking? 
Uh, and how do I do that in 20 years? How do I ensure that what I install today is still relevant in five or 10 years' time? How do I ensure it's viable from an economic perspective and a green and sustainability perspective? And most importantly, how do I ensure that it has all the value add, things like Internet of Things sensors, things like fast broadband, things like 5G integration that will enable future transport mobility use cases that we don't even know about yet, a bit like when you and I were involved in 95 in mm. the web. We had no idea that uh, the biggest hotelier was going to be Airbnb. Yeah, had I known that, obviously we would Yeah, we'd have invested, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think what we're doing at Connected Curb is putting in place the smart city infrastructure with the smart city connectivity as well as the power we're connected to, fast fibre and 5G. That enables us to support whatever might come along over the coming five to ten years. Yeah, so a couple of questions around that. So, I, I, obviously, I went onto the website, did my little bit of research. Why Why are you mixing 5G with electric charging? Why, why are you taking two business models and smashing them together? What, what's the value add for you? Okay, well, I could give you the, the schmaltzy answer. I can give you the honest answer. The, you, the schmaltzy you answer is, you know, data is the new fuel. That isn't true. <laughs> um, but what data will do is it will power different use cases. It will power things like improved emission management. It will power things like congestion management, parking management, environmental management, traffic management, mobility services, and a whole raft of other things. Those are data-driven models. Yeah, and the I more, agree fully with all of those. So the more you can put out to the edge... Of yeah. your network, the more data you can harvest and the better your your outcome's going to be. And at the end of the day, what people tend to forget is the reason we're, we're causing this transition to happen is because we're trying to improve air pollution. We're trying to improve the quality of the air. We certainly are around the borough with the <laughs> third airport runway, I know. the second runway coming in. Absolutely. And that, that's just a, one really good example. But, you know, around... 10% of the pulmonary and vascular disease that's caused in the UK is meant to be caused by pollutants that come from vehicles. And so if we can improve that, then the NHS bill goes down because people are healthier. But more importantly, um, the cost to everybody in terms of ecological and sustainable um, bills reduces markedly as well. So I think what we're dealing with is... Um, we're dealing, oh my gosh, look at this, another person from 1995 in the internet. Um, I think back I, to the future. I know, it's amazing. Um, I, I think what we're dealing with here is we're dealing with uh, a completely new set of business models and use cases, some of which we can see. So to give you an example, I'm sure many people would be familiar with this, we're going to see self-driving cars over the, no the next five to ten years. Autonomous vehicles. I, 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 w I won't challenge you right now, but I don't agree. Okay. Allegedly, we're going to see autonomous vehicles. We'll certainly see things like induction-based charging. We're going to see new types of technology models emerge. And oh, as they, yeah, no, as they emerge, you need data to drive those models. It's not just a question of having a plug to plug into so you can get some power. You need to know what you're going to do. So a good example is there's a bill that uh, the government passed where by 2025 any autonomous vehicle has to download all of the data points that it's acquired in the previous 24 hours back to the cloud so that it can be assessed for insurance and for compliance purposes. Right now, Intel think that's between two and four terabytes of data per vehicle per 24 hours. If you haven't got data and the ability to communicate between the charge point and the cloud, what's the point of the technology? It just becomes skipware. So our view is put these smart city nodes in place and they will enable these different use cases. Okay, so let, let's start with a couple more questions. First question is, if you've got these armadillos on the curb, yep. 
are they not going to be trip over points hazards <laughs> local councils getting sued um no we, we don't think so but um we're not we're not wedded to just the armadillos we've okay. got another suite of products called the gecko and the gecko is this uh, street furniture mounted plug socket okay. what's interesting and i haven't explained actually is that our solutions are two-part solutions so uh, in next to every parking bay, we sink a shoebox-sized computer into the pavement and then cap that off. Okay. So that's where the data and power is connected. Then what you connect above ground is kind of irrelevant. So it could be an armadillo, could be a lamppost column charger, could be something that's on a street parking sign. So a raft of different street furniture to support each setting. So uh, if you're in a car park and an out-of-town mall, that's different from... Uh, perhaps a residential road where you want to avoid having huge amounts of clutter on the street. So we can support both use cases there. Okay. Um, the the 5G element. Yeah. Um, 5G, very topical because of Huawei yep. um, not, not being, um, well, let's say... N- not being popular for a while with security services, that's the best way of putting it. Yep. Uh, but the UK government today giving them fundamentally the green light. Yeah, not for critical services, but for edge-based services, yes. Uh, uh, would you call yours a critical or an edge-based service? <laughs> that depends on who's using the data. Okay. Uh, we, we would describe ours as an edge-based computing node, so okay. probably not a critical service, and the data will be genericised largely for public use and public applications. So... Um, we think 5G is very cool because it's going to drop the cost of data distribution and data management. Uh, it's going to improve bandwidth. Um, uh, the one challenge that I think we and everybody else in the category have with 5G are some of the limitations in terms of its lattice networking capacity. So that's something we're hoping we can see improvements on. But um, with regards to Huawei, I'm not, <laughs> that's, a, that's a political hot potato. I'm not going to touch that one. Okay, Sam. don't catch that. Um, uh, Steve, Hello. hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, Steve Karmineski has joined us again. How are you, mate? Yeah, it's good. Um, uh, going through the parking system here was a experience in itself. They have definitely mastered the art of the really bad way to do oh, yeah. this interaction. Yes. The, the Everyone at this radio station hates the parking people here. Can I go through the gratuitous plug here? You see, okay. if you had our kit... We could automatically recognise your car and just bill your card. You wouldn't have to do anything. Cool. We'll, we'll have a chat after. Excellent. Um, no, but on a more serious point, let's go back to 5G. Yep. <clears throat> the one conversation we had earlier, you, you talked about the lattice, and, and I said uh, it needs to be a mesh network. Yep. Right. So, um, as a, let's talk about local council here, because that's where you, you have a relationship with the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead, as well as one of your pu- test pilots. You know, I've said, look, you know, all the all the buses should be electric, all the taxis should be electric. You know, they should go solar in all of their uh, public offices. Um, but the one thing that I have said is they should implement a mesh network, a 5G mesh network. I mean, we've got three in the town, yep. as an example. Yep. But you said there's a massive problem with 5G, which is that fundamentally line of sight and... Line of sight, line of connection. So um, the way 4G cellular technology works is you've seen all these masts everywhere around the countryside and in towns and on you know top of buildings. Th- th- those masts enable uh, a pretty strong distribution network. 5G doesn't work quite like that. It works at a different frequency, which means its ability to pass data from A to B, from cell to cell, is completely different. And so, for example, it can't travel through a car. So a car acts as a signal blocker or a signal uh, influencer, which reduces the quality. And that's one example. So what we know about 5G is it's very fast. 
It's brilliant in terms yeah, 100 of... 100 megabits per second 100 plus. megabits plus, yeah. We know it's brilliant in terms of availability, but we also know that it has its own challenges because you can't implement the same transport infrastructure that we have with 3G and 4G. And so those are challenges I think we'll have to get by. I think we'll see hybrid networks emerge where you'll have point-to-point, some fibre, perhaps acting as a backup or a fail-safe for certain congested parts of a lattice network. But um, it's evolving all the time, as you know, and it's still very early days with 5G. I mean, um, heaven only knows what's going to happen in terms of its rollout when it's actually deployed. But I think we're going to see a factor of 100x more cells to to make this viable yeah and that's that's the challenge they've got to implement so i know for example ee um are running pilots all over the country right now um the alleged samsung 5g phone will be out fairly shortly or they're going to turn the chip on basically yes um and it's probably going to work in many other countries before it works here for example uh apple this week announced that it's uh, settled its uh, dispute with Qualcomm, mm-hmm. which means that it now has a 5G provider other yep. than Huawei, yep. uh, which is means that we can expect the iPhone 11, whatever it's going to be called, the, <laughs> give it, give it the, yeah, the Apple Plus phone, <laughs> God knows. Yep. Um, whatever that's going to be called will be the 5G phone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, although Apple is often late to the party because it wants to be there when it's a mass market rather than an early adopter. Yep. Um, but given, given that 5G, let's be really brutally honest, 2020 is probably the earliest for that rollout. Yeah, I would, I would think so. I mean, at the moment, um, we've got a hybrid solution for all of our nodes. So we've got fast fibre connecting to all of our nodes, deliberately knowing that data is critical, but until we can absolutely have robust data assurity, we have to have a backup solution. And so while there's space in all of our nodes for a 5G cell, until they're robust, we've got fast fibre. So in both of the deployments that we've got in our two key test sites, I think we've got three or 400 megabits per second to each node just using fast fibre broadband. So we've obviated the short-term concern, but longer term, we'd like to be using 5G because it's it's just a more transaction-driven well, environment. Easy to implement as well. Yeah, exactly. But, okay, so the reason why I go back to the problem of I don't think we'll have autonomous cars anytime soon right. comes back to what you said earlier. You said, you know, you're talking between two to four terabytes of data per car. Yep. Um, you add LiDAR or any type of autonomous radar system to a car, <laughs> yep. you're talking 10 to 20 terabytes of data on the uplift, right? Absolutely. Just, just to make sure that car can drive autonomously. Yeah. I, I just can't see 5G networks ha- handling that data. I uh, agree. Um, I think what we'll see is we'll see the data offset. And I think at the moment what the legislation says is every single data point has to be backhauled every single one. I think we'll get to a point where it's exception-based reporting because there's no other way we could, we'd clog every network that exactly. exists. So um, I think we'll see that at some point. I think what, what's happening is, in the same way that there are black box insurance management platforms at the moment, they're going to do the same for autonomous vehicles and so they'll want to see all the data as opposed to some exception-based data points. But I think that will improve as time goes on. And also I think the transaction points will be things that um, as we emerge into this much more digital and connected autonomy Uh, environment, your car will upload when it stopped at traffic lights, it'll use all of the existing infrastructure points to upload on an ad hoc basis as opposed to in one hit. And so I think there'll be this sort of more iterative data exchange that happens when a car is capable of connecting to a fast network and it will happen 
in an iterative manner. Yeah, I mean, if I, I the new car I've got ordered, uh, my test drove the other day has got a Wi-Fi hotspot on it. There you go. And I can imagine when it's at home, it'll connect to my home network, which is much faster, and do it through that. Yep. So I, I can see it happening, but I, I go back to my point. I just think autonomous driving is one of those lovely ideas. Mm. I just think it's, it's a decade out or more because just simply we've got too many... And bottleneck points in this system right now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think, I think what we'll see is we'll see a sort of an emerging type of autonomous driving. So what we know is that there was a test conducted in the city of Coventry late last year. Um, the guys at Jaguar Land Rover and Siemens pulled together a, a project where they converted, I think it was five or six uh, Jaguar I paces. And let the eye pace control the speed. Oh yeah, I remember speed. seeing the video of that. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely extraordinary. It's and on what, YouTube if you want it. Yeah, it's it, and, and what it proved is it proved that um, if you let the cloud, if you let some intelligent systems take control of the speed of a car, it improves traffic flow in a busy city. And so we know that that model works. And so if that is autonomous driving, I don't know. It's not giving control of the direction. I guess it's semi-autonomous. It's semi-autonomous, but it's improving traffic flow and mobility. And so on that basis, it still has to report on what it's doing. A car will still have to feed back what it did and how it did it. And so I guess it's sort of an interim step. But I don't disagree with you. I think think just the insurance... Uh, Just commenting on that, actually on the tubes... They did a, a test on the on, on the London Underground mm. and DLR. They've had faults, but they've never had a crash. Right. And they could put thirty percent more tubes down through the tunnels, but they have to put a bigger gap between the tubes to, f- it, to account for human error. Yep. Yeah, which is why we need to get rid of the human in the in the cab. The, the, the unions won't allow that one. No, no they, they won't. Although the one thing I would say is that uh, the difference between a tube and the road is, you know, the, the well, yeah, kind of but, but it's the same principle though that you that, that if you allow the, the the systems to automate what yeah, yeah. is going on, they know exactly how fast a car can go and how. F- quickly it can stop yeah and there is no error in that process no absolutely i mean the measure of predictability is driven by um a sort of a lattice of infrastructure that's a known lattice i guess cars is a little bit different but the point's well made and and the the research that uh, the guys undertook in coventry proved to be incredibly successful so they found out that the perfect speed to drive through coventry for no apparent reason is 26 miles an hour and then apparently you don't get red lights and you just pass through the city much more efficiently for what it's worth. So back to horse and carriage pace, really. Yes. Wonderful. <laughs> Actually, no, they, they, they say the average speed in London is horse and carriage pace, which is five miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so Connected Curb, really interesting company, one to watch. Are you funded? Are you self-funded so far? Where are we in the in the lovely chase the money cycle? <laughs> chase the cash. Um, yep, the company is privately funded at this point, uh, still largely owned by the founders and the execs uh, of the company. Uh, we'd like to keep it in that position for as long as we can, but I think we are cognizant that rolling thousands and thousands of charge points and putting infrastructure in the ground is not a cheap business. So um, as with any organisation that's deploying infrastructure projects, we accept that um, that uh, dilution is going to happen at some stage or other. But no, we've been very lucky. We've got a fantastic group of shareholders and a very enthusiastic founder and management team as well. So um, yeah, we've been incredibly lucky. And I think we're a topical uh, business in the right space, trying to do um, all the right things at the right time. And as you know, with your background and Steve, it's not the easiest job in the world, but we've, we've certainly got a, a great opportunity ahead of us. We're very excited about it. Uh, the answer to this question can be no. <laughs> Are there any competitors? No. Good. Let's move on. <laughs> no, of course there are. I mean, they're not really competitors in our category. So just to clarify, 
our um, charge points enable us to charge, enable users to charge at between three kilowatts, which is a trickle charge, and seven kilowatts, which is a fast charge. So you're not going to fill your car up with uh, available mileage in anything less than sort of four to seven hours. Right, so, so this is more a case I've gone shopping in the high street, I'm charging my car, yep. I'll, I'll, I'll get 10%, 20% yep. charge. Exactly. And, and is that a viable use case? We're not sure. We think that... It's a more viable use case if somebody parks their car outside where they live on a residential road, plug their car in, then overnight it charges on a cheap tariff and then off they go in the morning. Or if they park at a commuter car park at a railway station, again, where there's existing... And that I can see working really well. Exactly. And that's our use case. So is there a competitor that's got this sort of future-proof, intelligent, data-connected solution in that trickle-to-fast charge point? Not really. Okay. Um, But if there are are other competitors in the super-fast or rapid charging space, yes, but we don't view them as competitors because because they're part of a balanced charging network. So if you go to an out-of-town mall and plug in for 30 minutes, you're going to get half a charge, but it's going to cost you 15 quid to do so versus three or four quid that you pay at home when you charge overnight in a cheap tariff. Just just quick question on payment. How, how will people pay? So I get my EV, I drive up to yep. one of your armadillos, yep. plug in. Yep. Um, uh, how do I pay? Is it, is it Am I a member of Connected Curb? Am I a member of the Royal Borough of Windsor and Maidenhead? Or am I on a pay-as-you-go? So, let me take you back to, remember CompuServe and AOL, Walled Gardens? Yeah, I'm afraid I do. That's the yeah. problem. Yeah. I wish so, I didn't. So, the early first-generation charge point networks are all subscription-based, membership-based, where okay. you need a dedicated card. We support that in terms of its uh, our capabilities to support that use case, but we don't think that's the way people want to play anymore. So we've got an RFID reader on all of our different charge points, and you'll just be able to do a tap and go. Great. Okay. So, um, yeah, we'll support any sort of uh, RFID um, chip and pin kind of a approach. And um, outside of battery evolution, which we talked about, and outside of the move to autonomous cars, is there anything else that you're seeing in that futuristic mm-hmm. city space that we could, you know, look towards Connected Curb helping with? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean we sort of see a picture where um, car transport is one form of transport that exists. So if you live in a city... Um, we think that it's very important that consumers take advantage of all the different means of mobility and transport that are available to them. So it could be the train, could be a tram, could be a cab. They may want to consider walking or taking a bike for heaven's sake. Steady. I know, but it does improve your health. Keeps you fit, reduces the NHS bill. So those Electric the, bike or pedal bike? Oh, electric, definitely for me, Sam. I'm about <laughs> you. Uh, so the, the net net is what we'd like to see is we'd like to see our infrastructure enabling a fitter, healthier, greener society, not necessarily people taking their car en route. And so we think software applications that start to drive that sort of cognizant consumer and conscientious consumer to to change the way in which they consume mobility is a really important next step. We're seeing the early the early signs of people being more receptive to that. And with the guys at TfL, for example, in London, doing a good job, uh, the people in Oxford City Council doing an amazing job, Nottingham and Derby are doing a great job. So there are these clusters of urban... Uh, excellence that are really pushing the boundaries of what you can do to encourage consumers to reduce their carbon footprint and improve their quality of life. So exciting stuff all around, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, Steve, have you gone and tried any of these things like bird scooters and you know the electric scooters or anything? Uh, well, bird are only operating in the Olympic Park. Oh, um, okay. And I, well, that's near. You're nearer to it than I am. It, so indeed. That's what I'm asking. So, well, uh, although saying that, I actually have a. Xiaomi scooter, which is the same that Bird use, except they change the control unit so you can that you control it via an app rather than the one I've got. It's got the standard Xiaomi control unit and firmware, and it 
just works. And you charge it at home and just go I running I just charge it at home, leave it overnight. It takes, it, it's got a um, 15 mile per hour top speed. Is that why you were late? Just checking. <laughs> no, I mean, and, and you think that that's a good form of transport it's for a, you? It's a great, I mean, they work, I mean, I wouldn't use it on a crowded street like Oxford Street with lots of people there because you'll really annoy them um, why, I, why would you annoy oh. if you're running right using it on the pavement well you're not allowed on the pavement we're not allowed on the road or the road they're, oh, they're what, not road legal well, what's the use of them then if you can't go on the road or so pavement so you unless you the Olympic the, the, the Olympic, Olympic Park, park they've, they've, they've well no they've granted a specific exemption for the Olympic Park I didn't so, know that. so that you can go from the station to here east and all the copper oh, box okay. arena and, and wherever you want to go um However, there is such an influx of these units now that the, the, uh, at some point the government will be forced to legislate that either, yeah, because at the moment you can, you can, so if I use it, I use it when I'm playing softball because I can get out to the softball fields and it's really easy and you can drive around it some private land. Um, but also, um, you can use it on cycle paths and, and people don't really object because they ex- expect a vehicle to be going on a cycle path. Now, just because it's a scooter and not a bike, um, at the moment, people don't seem to, you know, the, the, the police will see you and uh, just ignore you. Um, however, it's either going to change where someone has a serious accident and then... What's the, the sort of speed that these things 15 go? miles an hour they can go. Okay, so it's good speed i mean you know that's gonna hurt and it's a it's a 15 kilogram plus piece of steel yeah so So if you hit someone it's gonna hurt or if you fall over and it falls on top of you it's not pleasant okay well yeah i mean that's just owner beware yeah but i mean it's that you know they do not have very big wheels so uh, for example i have hit a what looks like a stick which is slightly bigger than i expected and the thing does just topple over and it's not fun um so going back to connected care would you provide sort of electric charging points for bikes and we do you do do already so yeah we do so what we've got is if you imagine a parking bay we've got a conversion for a parking bay that will service uh, electric bicycles it could service electric scooters as well. We are minded, though, that it is most unlikely the UK will legislate to support electric scooters on the road. Why? Um, I, just, I, I'm trying to get my head around why. Just the feedback that we've got because of the provisioning that you would need. It's somewhere in the middle uh, between um, a vehicle that isn't supported under any of the highway code anywhere and it's not supported on a licence anywhere. So you could say that the same is true of electric or electrically assisted bicycles. And I wouldn't disagree with you, but we think at the moment it's most unlikely they'll be legal. Has anyone told the VCs who are putting billions into? Well, no. I mean, they, they, in the so, US. In, so in in the US they are legal. Yeah. And in in places like San Francisco, literally every street corner has a bank yeah. of, yeah, of scooters. Well, they're there. called abandonware, aren't they? Yeah. You just yes. abandon them wherever you want. Yeah. And then you yeah. and it's the same with line bikes and 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 mofo over here. Yeah. And, and, and U- you know, Uber's big into it as well, aren't they? Yeah. He, and they're all. Who's Uber bought? Is it Bird? No. Is uh, it? Oh, good question. I don't know the answer. I'll look that up in a minute. But yeah, but they, you know, and if look at Holland, um, they're they're starting to gain acceptance over there. Um, Obviously, everyone everyone rides bicycles over there, but now you can get scooters. So lots of European countries are adopting 
scooters and allowing them to be used. Well, Amsterdam announced they're getting rid of all 11,000 parking spaces in Amsterdam. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with the idea that cars can't stop, yep. can't stay in the town, so yep. nobody comes in with a car, yep. and then they'll just make it more and more they, a bike They've town. done a good job, actually, in Holland, of, um, of the whole transition to electric infrastructure. They've really done a good job. Um, so second probably to Norway in terms of EV adoption. Um, and I think, you know, if you... I don't know how well you know Amsterdam, but downtown Amsterdam, they haven't, they haven't got exactly... I know when I get there, I just don't remember when I leave. Ah, uh, I've no idea why that might be. So. Yeah, it's great coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic coffee. Um, so, yeah, the net-net is um, the infrastructure in Amsterdam is sort of different from London in that um, the car ownership models in um, Holland outside Amsterdam are different from inside the city, and it's not the same in the UK. I mean, we've got huge numbers of car-owning public without parking in London in all of the major conurbations in the UK. Um, and that isn't going to change anytime soon. Everybody says, oh, there won't be as many cars on the road. But if you look at the latest forecasts, it'll be about one million less by 2040, which isn't a huge number less. Um, okay, so we're not going to see that rapid growth. Okay, so outside of electric cars, we, we, we're doing a great job. The, the data's the other bit I just want to touch on before yep. we move on. Um, will this data be made... Aware, uh, available to the public. So I know a number of US states have put in uh, data um, capabilities that said that any third party developer can access it and do. Yep. So they've started building pollution apps. And, and is that something that you guys are going to let the data? Who owns the data? Yeah, that's a very good question. Let's start with that. Who owns it? And then will it be made public? So the question is what data. Own, uh, you know what data ownership we're looking for so there is going to be generic data that's going to be public domain data and it's going to be something that we're going to see increasingly if we look at where GDPR has taken us um, we believe that uh, in the future people will start to monetize the more sensitive personal data in return for something which is where we, when we were talking earlier things like blockchain things like reward based systems distributed ledger data safes and online data uh, secure safety deposit boxes which enable me to monetize my data those are certainly use cases we can see going forward right now who owns the data is it's, it's a minimum of connected curd act, acting as the custodian of the data in association perhaps with local councils and authorities and maybe longer term in, in association with the consumers as well so um, we think that data should remain uh, in the ownership of the people who own the data which is the users of the data yeah although i can see i can see most people signing it away yeah i think they will initially although for you know free parking spaces or for free exactly so charging points or something that's the whole point so if i look how many how many fitness monitors has steve got on but it, let's assume that one of his fitness monitors but he's no fitter <laughs> <laughs> that's very true well let's assume that steve could prove that he walked from a to b and he gets rewarded for that as <coughs> taking the tube or taking the car there's a reward-based system that he can then trade for other bits of transport and mobility that becomes a data barter which is kind of interesting and kind of interesting. and, and, and in, in the states I, one of the guys that i work with actually has a has to wear a tracker for his insurance and if he doesn't do a certain number of steps per day his insurance goes up see this is where i worry i worry about yeah me too that worries them quite not that i don't do it It, 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 what i worry about (laughs) is that we're joining the dots up i mean i'm I'm a technologist we're all technologists right and i love tech but i also i think steve and i have spoken about this in the past i worry that you know they're they're bringing in uh speed delimiters for cars in 2020 um you're then going to have smart motorways the m4 near bias is now there's a when I take my daughter back to Nottingham University, there's a piece there. You go 72 yep. ticket. 
Yeah. So I just stick my speed limiter on yep. and I go through that section. Yeah. So fundamentally, we're just removing human capability for self-choice, self-determination yep. out of the system. I have to walk my 10,000 steps or my insurance goes up. I have to stay at a certain yep. speed or my car insurance goes up. I can't post on social media in New York, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you were vaping outside now but said to them that I'm not a smoker... Mm-hmm. They'll go onto your, they now have the right to go onto your social media and see if you are. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's a million miles away. I mean, the UK hasn't quite got to that whole Orwellian state yet with regards to data management, but it's not going to be long. And the US is the worst place on the planet for it at the moment because you have no data rights over there unless you live in California. Right. Uh, and that's not quite true. And, and, you know, Washington State and California, but the rest of it, forget it. Your data's or Trump gone. Tower because he doesn't let any data well, no, <laughs> But if he did, he'd like it a lot. Yeah. 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 So, uh, okay, so we get, we're going to see, uh, yeah, lots of data ownership issues, I think, is the best way of describing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the key is, I think, if people buy into the idea that the generic data that they create, so how much of a charge they've taken, where they've been from A to B, those things are kind of useful on a broader basis for everybody involved in society. And there's this notion of community data versus personal data. Yeah. And we've got to figure out how that, you know, how that stacks up. But, um, uh, yeah, I and I, I agree. It, we, I like that term, community data. I think that's that's fundamentally for the better of all. Yes. That you would donate your data. Exactly. So uh, we're not, and, we're not and then there's, a, you know, a good example of that is with the congestion charge cameras when they put them in and then Boris promised it would never be used for any policing. Sorry, it, Boris promised something, did he? Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, we're putting this in purely for congestion charging it's not going to ever be released out of that system and of course as as as, as soon as there was a, an event in london that they, you know it's like suddenly all that data is made available to the police and 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 it, you know anyone with the right credentials to ask for it and you know the whole reg- regulatory in, in, investigatory powers act with the you know the, your your council has the right to ask get various information about your Whatever you're doing, whether it's driving or whatever else you're doing, because they can they can put a request in and and they they will yep. give that information over and and uh, you know there is the you know just just driving in London you are under the you know how many cameras see you and you, that that data is now just freely available. To yeah, well, I mean, I, I would say if you wanted to design an Orwellian future mm-hmm. and you were living in 1950. Yep. You couldn't have done it any better. No, I mean, we're there or thereabouts, aren't we? Yeah, I mean, it's like, should we should we create something called the internet? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> should we then create a web? Lovely. Should we now put mobile phones on it? Now we know where everyone is. Should we put speakers in the house called voice smartphones? Yeah, that's great. And should we put cameras around that track everyone? Bingo. We now are fully tracked 24-7 everywhere we go. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not going to get any better. I mean, um, the, the, you know, Amazon just recently released that they, you know, they do listen to recordings to make the software better. Yeah, now I've started making some really interesting statements at home now, <laughs> just to really annoy them. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, it, it's it's quite funny. I mean, the the thing that strike, uh, strikes me as amusing is that um, if you happen to have a relative called Alex in your family and you may be talking to them it's extraordinary how quickly um the amazon devices will alert and similarly google is something that's now one of the top 250 most used words in the british vocab well it's hoover and it is uh xerox isn't it absolutely it's, it's, it's become the word for search exactly right the google home devices all activate on the word google you don't even need to say hey really yep don't okay. want to frighten you, but don't get Google devices. No, of course I not. haven't got a Google device. I've You're, got six Alexas. They're very good, though, aren't they? 
They are, actually. I mean, I love them, but, I mean, my brother-in-law and me had this wonderful uh, discussion, I'd say, let's put it that way, over Christmas, and he was moaning about the fact that I've got all these Alexas. Yeah. And I just turned around to him and said, well, what's in your pocket? He said, it's a phone. I said... Same thing. Same thing. Yeah. I said, it's tracking where you are, it's got a camera, it knows exactly where you're going, your ISP knows everything you've looked at, what are you moaning about? Well, worse yet, knows who you've spoken to, how long you spoke to them for, Absolutely. and probably what you said to them as well. So um, Every divorce lawyer's favourite phone. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely right. Um, but um, going back, let's let's take a backtrack. So you, we, we, you were talking about Google and, and you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole thing about um, what they're doing. Yep. Well, keep going. So, uh, well, Google's kind of relevant to, um, to every walk of technology infrastructure life now. So Google announced yesterday that their maps will now start showing active and available EV charge points globally. Oh, nice. Okay. So what they've done, as they always do, is disintermediate all of the smaller organisations who'd set up all these mapping technology platforms that shows and coerced users and consumers to certain charge points. Google just took that whole market away yesterday. Oh, I didn't see that one. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I did see one yesterday, which is, and I'm going along to the um, voice conference as well. Yeah. Um, Alexa have just worked out how to have a 15% improvement using AI Mm -hmm. to get the background noise of, you know, when we're talking, like you were just saying, you know, you can say Google and it would, the the Google Home Assistant might trigger up. Yeah. Or you've got a relative called Alex, Mm -hmm. or who's now using their middle name more often than not. (laughs) but that they've got a 15 so in the next iteration of the software they will have improved the um voice recognition capability by 15 percent by yep. they, they, what they'll do is they'll pattern match you on conversations you're having so which is why they're listening to yep. it and then they're going to actually look at the wave that's created because all of us have a unique wave sound yep. and then they will know that when you say alex as in your that, child but, versus hey Alexa or Alexa. But that's one of the things I, as you know we mentioned before about Bracky, and I, I said they've pivoted from a headphone manufacturer or earphone manufacturer yeah. to being a, an edge network AI company, um, and that's all they're doing. They are developing those algorithms that you put in edge devices, whether that be a smart speaker, a, a headphone device, or an IoT device, and they will use that to do a lot of the local processing before sending it back to the mothership that so that you can actually get rid of a lot of the noise and, and the extraneous data at the at the point of entry rather than having to ship huge amounts of data back. Will they survive? Because Amazon this week announced that they're bringing out their own earbuds. Mm. Apple, amazingly, the AirPod 2s, I tried them the other day, are pretty amazing. Yeah, they're good. Um, you know, Google, the Google ones are okay. Um, Samsung, with their whatever they've got. Who's now Samsung? As well. Do they do anything? Well, they literally make a, a, a meant to be. Have you got? Quite, a, you've got a Samsung? No, you? no, I've got. A, I'm a fanboy. Oh, okay. I tell you what, they don't have Samsung. They haven't got a folding t- uh, mobile <laughs> device. They haven't got one of those. Oh, have you seen? Have you yeah, seen know, what happened yeah. to all the six demo ones? Cracked on a pivot. Yeah, but, which is a hinge, a hinge um, fault, not the screen fault. But my question is, who? <laughs> Was that a case of some product manager sitting there going, what can we do next? Well, no, I know. I mean, the, the fold, <laughs> fold, fold, phone, folding yeah. phones will be the future. I mean, if you can have something in your pocket that you can actually put in your pocket and then unfold to a tablet, yeah. it's, it's going to be a phenomenal device. However... I think the, the key the, word the, of that sentence was if. But the, the, the point being the technology just isn't there and they've, they've all whacked out what they... Uh, pre-prototypes on the, some wonderful technology that, you know, I mean, you know, LG do have a rollable screen, which is meant to be pretty impressive, 
but that's you know you're they they, they don't charge you two thousand quid for it. It's how many tens of thousands of pounds yeah, yeah. for it because it is you know those the you know the reason that the the quantum dot LED stuff and the LED just normal LED and whatever this is until they get the. Uh, the, the the mass printing capability to be able to print those screens at that you know at big sizes because you know um, Sony came out with an OLED screen way before anybody but it was like eleven inches and it cost five thousand pounds but that was the maximum size you could actually print an OLED screen because it, the, the, the otherwise your your pixel errors became huge and. You know, that's the same with, with foldable screens. Yes, they are available. Yes, they, you know, in a big screen, it's much easier to produce it because it rolls up in a much more gentle curve. Um, but when you get to a small scale and you, you bend it and it really has a, you know, a 180 degree bend on it, then that really does cause you a massive problem in that that screen better be completely working and without any fractures or whatever else in it and that's obviously proven that it that it doesn't and if you look at you know samsung announced theirs and and uh, um uh, is, it, is it xiaomi or was it um uh, huawei that one of them's also got a folding screen but they think it's like huawei. which is we've got one but we will be releasing it, and here's here's the pick, you know, the one that we're holding. But we're not giving out to customers. Well, Motorola announced one in uh, yeah. the Consumer Electronics Show, which looks amazing. I mean, I want one. Do you remember those old Oyster yeah. yep. Motorola yeah. StarTax? I think they were called. StarTac. I'd love one of those. Yeah. If it, you know, the full fold-out screen. But I tend to agree. I think we're a long way from that happening. Now we've mentioned every piece of technology from 5G to electric. Now, Paul, it all started for you though yes. with AI. It did, way back when. Because obviously AI, to most people, is a new, shiny technology, but really it's the 1960s. Now, you weren't in the 1960s, you're not that old. No, I'm not. No, but you you started your career, didn't you, in AI? I did, yep, failed lawyer. So, 1988, I joined a little UK startup called Intelligent Environments, who had a rule-based expert system shell. Are they still going? No. Um, No, they suffered the AI I was hoping you were going to say, have we transitioned to I think they've transitioned, (laughs) they have actually transitioned. They're no longer doing AI. I think they're in financial services or something now. But way back when, they had this um, easy expert system shell that enabled a domain expert. So, somebody who might be, somebody who approves a, a loan in a bank would work through a set of rules and those rules could be codified and that would enable their knowledge to be distributed to lots of other people. And that's what the the very early commercial uh, AI platforms looked like. It was this idea you had a rule-based hierarchy or a decision tree as it was known and you could walk somebody through the process that an expert, a domain expert, went through. And so back in 88, that was seen as whiz-bang technology. But that morphed into induction engines and inference systems and goodness knows what else, and ultimately neural networks. So when I hear the phrase artificial intelligence and AI now, it drives me absolutely to distraction because the vast majority of descriptors where somebody says, oh, it's AI, it kind of isn't AI. It's data mining. or yeah, it's, it's machine pat- learning. It's machine learning or pattern matching. It's narrow AI. It's very it's- narrow, yeah. yeah. So, but yes, so I spent the thick end of eight years working uh, at Intelligent Environments, worked for a company in Boston called Applied Expert Systems, and then worked for a company called Inference Corp. And Inference were really one of the darlings of that first generation of AI. So they used to build applications that would schedule the maintenance of aircraft fleets for American Airlines. So they deal with the really complex decision-making processes about which parts need to be in which airport when an airplane arrives. And saved hundreds of millions of dollars. They did the authorization platform for American Express. So there's no credit limit with your Amex card. 
And so technically, you could wander into Jack Barclays and buy, you know, a new roller on your Amex card, but there must be a decision-making process that they go through. So that's sort of that fuzzy logic, implied inference-based learning systems. Uh, so I did that. Um, I guess what happened to me then was I went started going on a conference circuit. We'd done a massive deal with Reuters at Inference, where we were building... Uh, derivative calculation AI platforms. I met with a guy called Jim Clark at a conference. He was this crazy ah. Texan. He said, you should come and work for me. I said, I've no idea what you're talking about. Um, he said, no, 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 it'd be really good. This will be big. And lo and behold, that became Netscape about mm. six months on. So, um, yeah, so that's how I got involved in all of that. But, yeah, it started out in AI. Okay. But before you joined Netscape, you are at another company. Uh, yeah, that was Inference Corp. So, so where does Real... So Real Networks, I joined... After Netscape. Okay, so we'll come back to them in a minute. Yeah, then. let's just come so, back to them. Uh, so you, there you uh, were. You were in. Uh, you were in uh, Netscape. Yeah, uh, Steve's um, looking very nervous when we talk about Netscape. So <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> he's getting his checkbook out. It's okay. You're all right. He's, all right. Got, he's getting his checkbook out. Because rumours have it that we closed perfectly viable contracts at Netscape with mm. big internet service providers. He's paying for lunch after this. I know. And, and uh, from what I can remember, I mean, this might be hearsay, but I think a number of those internet <laughs> service providers reneged on commercially viable they contracts. They absolutely did. They. I, Allegedly tore the contract up. They tore the contract up. <laughs> That's right, yes. You yes. little demon, you. Yes, <laughs> yes, I remember that. It wasn't well. me, though. Yeah, well, I, I was the one who agreed the, the original agreement. Yes, you did, Steve. I'm not holding you to it. But it's only 750 grand. Don't worry. And, and the commission on that means we could have was, was I bought I was, a roller from Jack. I, we I wasn't on commission. No, that's true. No, we were. We were. <laughs> we were yeah. Um, no, but the, yeah. So you know, you and I both know we had a huge amount of fun at Netscape. Um, I can remember, and I'm sure you remember, the point where some bright spark said, let's not worry about building browsers and mail systems and commerce platforms, let's get into the enterprise. And then when that ridiculous uh, strategy unveiled itself, it, from my perspective, it was time to leave. At that time, there was this tiny little startup in Seattle called Progressive Networks, who had this crazy idea of having streaming audio on the internet. And I joined them when there were about 15, 16 people, I think. And, and I licensed the first. And Steve licensed. But can I just say, to your eternal credit, you did pay for that one. I did. So, on my own personal credit card. Yeah, yeah that's right. You did. <laughs> so, so that was good. So, um, yeah, so Real went through um, sort of hyper growth mode. And I think at one stage it was market capitalization of 10 billion. And we had, I don't know how many people we had in Europe, but there were a lot. And we were really pioneering that whole streaming audio, video, streaming flash. So, all of that sort of notion of uh, the stuff we take for granted today where, you know, all of the content we consume is effectively using a lot of the streaming algorithms that Real brought to market. What happened to Real? Uh, they're still going. Um, they, they weren't acquired? No, they, they're still a public company listed on NASDAQ. They did a deal with the devil, though, in that uh, I think it was 1999, 2000, they licensed all of their codex to a certain other company based in Seattle. Uh, for a huge amount of money, so $600 million, I think, was the deal, something like that. And is that where Windows Media Player came from? Yes, it is. Strangely. Yes. Strangely. So, well, <laughs> we thought we were really clever at Real, so we said, ha, ah, we sold them all the old tech, then, and we, I think a week later, released the next instantiation of all of our streaming algorithms. But what we hadn't figured out is that Microsoft had about 10,000 engineers reverse engineering all the algorithms. So within two or three years... They'd kind of eaten our breakfast, lunch, and dinner for us. And so streaming media became uh, a different world. And then, of course, we went through all of the copyright, copyright management, watermarking challenges. The music industry woke up and said, hang on, you're, you're stealing our business. And uh, I think it became difficult. But Real is still going. They're, um, what are they well, doing? They bought Napster. 
they but they own Napster now. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. After it finished being really useful and no one was on it. Yes. Okay. Just <laughs> wondering when, when when they got it. It was just well, at the beginning or the end. Yeah. The I end, mean, I so you know, when when Sean set up Napster, it was all quite cool and funky, but it was Mr. very much Fanning. Yeah. Was, it was it was kind of a and he was a good guy. I mean, we used to see him a lot. Very clever guy. Clever, clever bloke. But there's, there was no money in that. Ironically, um, what Glazer, who set up Real Networks and is still seen as one of the sort of leading lights in that area, did say is that ultimately content would come back behind the paywall. And he was bang on. He was right. But what nobody knew is it was going to be subscription and sort of, you know, eat as much as you want kind of thing. But, um, yeah, Real is still going, doing some good stuff, keep in contact with them. There are some people who have been there 20 years or more, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're the go-getters. Yeah, they're, they're really very entrepreneurial, those yes. guys. Yeah, no, bless them. They're good guys. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, uh, we're fast approaching the news. When we come back from the news, I really want to start to talk about... Uh, go back to Netscape a little bit, the, the browser wars, because Google announced, strangely, they're going to provide, uh, a few weeks ago, the, the underlying engine for Internet Explorer. Right. I also, because you mentioned it just now... Well, no, Google didn't announce that. Microsoft announced that. Well, yes, but, I mean, if you're on the Google developer thing, they announced it as yeah. well. But um, the, the other areas I want to touch on mm-hmm. after the news is content. You just man- yep. mentioned it. Uh, Apple recently announced their Apple Plus and Apple TV. Yep. Um, the content wars, Netflix versus uh, Amazon Prime. Maybe mm-hmm. we can touch a little bit on that. Love to. Um, and, uh, yeah, and maybe in the break, Steve will make us a cup of tea instead of giving us a commission. That sounds fantastic. I reckon that. Fair perfect. trade, that is. What do you reckon, Steve? <laughs> You're listening to Sam Sethi on Marlow FM. OMG. Who gave him a show? Indeed, who did? What a fool they were. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Yes, I'm today here on... Uh, Marlow FM, um, we're on the show talking to Paul Ayres and Steve Karmynski. Uh Paul, we're going to play a track for you. Obviously, I give one track to every guest, and your track's going to be for? It's for my wife, Amanda, and my two uh, little girls, Dea and Izzy. And it's uh, Michael Bublé and Moondance, I believe. Lovely. I do like this one. We'll see you in a few minutes. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes A fantabulous night to make romance Neath the cover of October skies And all the leaves on the trees are falling To the sound of the breezes that blow And I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heartstrings that play soft and low And all the night Seems to whisper and hush And all the soft moonlight Seems to shine in your blush Can I just have one more moon dance with you, my love? Can I just make some more romance with you, my love? Well, I want to make love to you tonight I can't wait till the morning has come And I know that the time is just right And straight into my arms you will run And when you come my heart will be waiting To make sure that you're never alone There and then all my dreams will come true dear There and then I will make you my own Anytime I touch you You just tremble inside 
Hopefully your wife and children enjoyed that one, Mr. Ayres. Uh, thanks for that, Sam. Uh, oh, they did, yes. I'm sure they did. Brownie points in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will have your slippers and dinner ready when you get home. Hopefully. Yeah, that'll never happen. Um, before the break, we were touching on your past career, which was at Real, uh, Real Media. Yep. Which was one of the pioneers, I guess, in, in streaming, which we take for granted now, YouTube. I mean... I'm assuming your kids like mine live on YouTube. They, they yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the idea of having this sort of linear broadcast schedule where you wait for a programme to come on just doesn't occur to them. Although we do have to wait for Game of Thrones every week still. That is true. We've got to wait for Game of Thrones. But if you look at the way in which they um, participate and consume content, it's completely different from the way we were programmed to consume content. I mean, they choose what they want to watch when they want to watch it they construct their own playlists they share content so there's this huge influence base that occurs as a result of social media and sharing so i think we're seeing a different style of content you've got the very authentic user-generated stuff which is all cool which is where all of our youtube stars kick in um and then you've got this um incredible uh, professionally driven content now which is being syndicated to brand new uh, platforms like you know the the apple tvs of this world the itunes the netflix the amazon primes and you know and even vimeos and hulus and goodness knows who else so content's really gone through this revolution all enabled by what we kicked off 25 years ago but if you spoke to the record companies then and said by the way somebody else is going to take your business and did the same to the beeb or to any of the big production houses they'd have laughed at you I don't think they're laughing now. No, I mean, strangely, uh, there, there has been a drift back from... Well, you, you, you were talking about Napster. I mean, one of the things I loved about Napster was one of the first peer-to-peer -peer yep. sharing applications out there. Yep. And I always think that the internet was designed to be a peer-to-peer -peer sharing network. It wasn't meant to be what we've sadly turned it into, a centralised Facebook, a centralised Twitter, a centralised uh, client-server model again, right. which we tried to get away with. Yep. So... You know, uh, and as we discussed a while back, it's becoming worse than that because it's it's becoming a, a, a new proprietary yes internet where Cloudflare, Facebook, they all have their own content delivery networks that are using proprietary in-house protocols, and you know they're using that to deliver their content directly to the end user. And on top of that, countries are building their own versions of the internet: yep. Russia, China. 
Yep. So and we are basically seeing, I don't know, the end of the open, shared internet. But I, I am hopeful that stuff like Napster will allow us to go back to a peer-to-peer. Blockchain is very much a yeah. peer-to-peer type model. So I think one of the best use cases for blockchain is uh, content-driven. Yeah. where somebody invests a lot of money. I mean, you use the Game of Thrones example, which is a great example. That costs a fortune to produce. Um, you know, it literally is, you know, the All Eight series is hundreds of millions, if not billions now, to yeah. produce this. It's, it's eight feature-length films. Exactly right. It's an extraordinary, uh, extraordinary piece of content, and it warrants a fee. And the ability to absolutely lock that value away until that fee is paid, I think, is valid. I Mm. think it's fair. You know, I don't think that all content should be free. I think that there is a barter that one pays for. So some people seek celebrity, and that's a completely separate debate that we won't have now. But uh, in terms of professionally driven content, where it is consumed by hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, where there's intrinsic value, where people wait with bated breath to consume that content, that should be paid for. And that's right and proper. There are other people who are prepared to barter that paywall for fame and infamy and advertising back revenue. That's equally fine too. And I think um, the parity and the comparable business model of the BBC with no advertising, but then a license payer subscription base model versus the free to air ITV model where you have ads. And I think those two different types of content streams are equally relevant online. But we should respect the two and respect them that they are different revenue models altogether. No, it is actually, that's a great point about. So, where Real started with just streaming content, we have now got, I think, four or five different content models. Amazon this week announced that they're going to have an Amazon Music subscri- uh, non-subscription but ad-driven model that they've, they've just announced for the Alexas yeah. to compete with Spotify. Yeah. Um, iTunes haven't announced that. You, don't, you, still don't, you still have to pay for iTunes. Yes. Um, but what, what, I, what I'm really interested in is, is the fact that uh, Amazon Prime... And Netflix mm-hmm. um, have done spent billions. I mean, what was it at the Oscars? They won a film. Uh, yep. It was Netflix who won the film, wasn't it? The um, the, Roma. the foreign language film. Yep. Yeah, the, 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 yes, which do. I still can't be bothered to watch. <laughs> I seriously have no interest. It's such a chick flick moment. You know, reading. Oh, can't can't work on my laptop and read. There's no, no way. No, 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 no. I'm the same. Um, have you seen it? I have seen it, but only because I was uh, with someone else who was watching it. Oh, you were having a love moment. I wasn't, no, no. Oh, it's was, okay. actually my mother, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, you were just being a dutiful son. Okay. Exactly. Um, no, but th- those two models. Now, Apple, mm. with um, their recent announcements, two things I want to get your opinions on. One, do you think Apple's too late to the play, you know, with this Apple TV Plus, they call it? Um, okay, so they already own the relation, billing relationship with hundreds of millions of users. And so for them, pivoting... But so does Amazon with Prime and so does Netflix. Absolutely. absolutely. So Netflix have started from uh, a different uh, use case where with iTunes, one has always had an account, you've always had an attached credit card, and then adding new products and services has been a push, but not as hard as starting from ground zero, which is what Netflix did. Um, same is true with Amazon. You know, you started buying your books in 1996, and now you can buy pretty much whatever you need on Amazon. And so that extension into content is not too much of a big ask. I think Netflix have done an extraordinary job and continue to. Uh, are Apple too late to the party? Not with the amount of cash they've got in the bank, no. I mean, I think what they can do is commission and own some content that will become massively compelling. Yeah, they brought out all the big stars on stage, you yeah. know, opera and, uh, and various others. But I... I, I I, there was nothing there. Actually, what was Doesn't more matter. interesting... It's embedded. What's embedded? 
it's in the the the, the Apple TV product will be it's. It's in your phone. It's in digital. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it will be. Yes, I get. I, I grant you, but, but I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, but that doesn't matter. Once you start using it, it then becomes the norm. And once it's the norm, you then you then go. Oh, I want to pay for this little bit, and I want to pay for this little okay. bit. I don't use iTunes. Do you? Yes. Uh, okay. I'm, well, it depends see, what for, for music. Um, <laughs> that's a no. I'll take it. Then. No, not really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, and that's on your phone. I mean, I do. I, well, I do so sort of. It, I use iTunes Match, so all my. <laughs> Stuff all of your I existing content which is, you absolutely bought and converted and you didn't borrow any and you didn't... No, no, the, 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 well, genuinely, I do have... Didn't a, take it all from Napster. No, absolutely no, not. That, that did not you know, It does then send that up and then if it hasn't got it, it uploads it. If it has, it just yeah. goes, I'll, I'll give you a I'll link you to a, the real... Yeah. Love. And uh, that is, for me, it's, for, that, if, you know, it's only 22 quid a year or whatever, but it's phenom- that is phenomenally useful because it does mean on See, my phone... I, I didn't I have, have to do that. When I got my Alexa, Amazon, because I bought all my CDs from them, kind Kindly ripped them all true. for me and put them into uh, my Amazon Music. Like, yeah, that's a win. Well, I was win. like, whoa. Well, no, I, I, I've probably done the same with all the, my recent stuff because that it all does come from Amazon. And it, but it is um, also they, they they rip it at a much lower quality. Yeah, so of all, they do. all my stuff is at, at, at one twenty eight. Well, so it's Apple lossless, so it's two fifty six. Two fifty six, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm or deaf. I can't tell the difference anyway. Who cares? <laughs> but the, the bigger question is, I mean, what accounts don't you have? So have, have you got Amazon Prime? Got Prime. Uh, have got, you got Netflix? Netflix. Yeah. So the girls use Netflix more than anything else. Yep. Uh, I'm Spotify. A Prime. They've got Spotify, and I strangely am on Amazon Music because I don't want to be on Spotify. I'm, okay. I'm the same. Because my children's taste in music means when it's mixed with mine. Yep. I just get rap recommendations. Yeah, doof, doof music, all this. Yeah, and I, I don't want that. So I, I decided to have my own list on another playing platform yep. rather than mix it in with the family. We've got a family one with five accounts. Yep. We only use three. Yep. So. No, I, I, Anyone I guess... wants an account, let me know. <laughs> and have you got your, your... Well, no, you're on the... On the on, that's on Amazon. Yeah. What? Yeah, well, no, because obviously you're on Spotify now. They, they give you, if you're on the, on the family... No, family premium. They, yeah, they then they then give you a Google Home. Really, they've got that desperate now. They're giving it away. Yep. Uh, see, I never buy anything Google for one reason. They always give up on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think um, killed by Google dot com. Yeah, uh, look, you love them or hate them, they're doing a great job. Um, Which one? Google. Ah, okay. Um, but I think Google are still deeply in the realms of being a technology software platform business and a search business. I think the whole alphabet pivot that they undertook a couple of years ago was their their final attempt at not being seen as a, a search engine but I think everybody realises that with the exception maybe of Google Music that's what they are uh, they're a search in advertising I think platform. even Google Music may be dropped I reckon yeah. they won't stick with it uh, Google Google Play isn't really getting the traction I know Android users use it because they have to yep. <coughs> but I don't think it's a massive platform strangely today they announced they got their licence for their double long winged yep. uh uh, delivery service, yeah. which is like totally left field. <laughs> I mean, why? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I still think that um, if you take the view that we've seen a couple of different um, sort of eras of tech, I think we're seeing the next era emerge now. And I think the, the real disruptors are the ones who are going to consolidate their position. I mean, Amazon, I think, have done a great job of reinventing themselves regularly. But they've kind of copied the Microsoft model, haven't they? Which is they've let everybody else experiment, get it wrong, learn from their mistakes and do the best job they can. 
based on the platform they've built already. I, I say yes and no to that. I think they were the ones who went out with the smart voice assistants on an edge That's without true. the others, and the others followed them. Yep. Um, I think Amazon Web Services was a service that really broke that model before mm-hmm. Azure and Google. Yep. Yeah, well, um, I mean, that, that, I, that was a phenomenally brave thing for you know Amazon going we're building all this infrastructure for ourselves and go actually other people will want it let's just build a whole system which we'll farm off and then run as a separate entity and we'll run our own infrastructure on it and run anybody else's infrastructure on it and the Apple it was announced today Apple spent 30 million dollars a month on AWS for yeah, hosting, well, for hosting the, until they've built their own, yeah. they are building their own stuff. But yeah. until they get that out, they are, their monthly bill to Amazon is thirty million. So I will um, a little plug here for the show. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Barr, chief evangelist, is coming on the show in a couple of weeks. Cool. So uh, he'll be able to tell us more about Amazon Web Services. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's take it back because um, content plays right. Yep. So we are seeing, as you said, the license fee. I I don't watch any BBC, but I still pay a license fee just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, ITV. But you have to pay license fee if you watch any live, anything that is broadcast, either stream, doesn't matter for what. Yeah, that, yeah that your iPlayer is, is still. Yeah. It, it still is um, live content. You have to pay a license fee. The only, the, you know, and you cannot get away with it. And there's all sorts of, you know, I mean, in, in the, you know, the BBC does need to make money, and and I personally agree that they, you know, that's it is a fantastic broadcasting organisation. Mm. Except it's it's closing itself down. So lots of local that's, radio stations are, unfortunate, are closing. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing Bauer Media, which is the largest group, mm. uh, aggregating and buying up commercial radio stations and then fundamentally just affiliating breakfast shows. So like Capital Radio's breakfast shows now going to go out to, I don't know, 30 or 50 of the uh, Bauer Media group ones. So they've got rid of 200-plus presenters. So mm. there's lots of uh, consolidation in this space, even though... As you just said, more of us are paying for content, which yep. is great that we're paying for it. It, it is good. I mean, I, mean, I think, um, again, I can't bang the drum, uh, you know, uh, more fiercely than I am about it. I, I have I have this deep-seated view that professionally driven content, be that music or film or, you know, um, or indeed the written word, that has an intrinsic value and that, that value needs somehow to be paid for. Uh, and that's one route that one can take if you're looking to monetize content. There is this other route, which is something I don't really understand, which is you know wanting to garner fans online and then monetize on that basis by promoting products, which I can't imagine a worse way of living life, but some people choose to do that, and that's important to them. Well, that's and, the only way they can afford it. Exactly, but the, the, yes, you're quite right. And I think that the really interesting thing is that that type of content, though, appeals not to us. I think we've also got to realise that we're a gentleman of a certain age mm-hmm. and, and that our kids engage in content in a completely different way. So a 30-second blast which is shared by their buddy, they might find hilarious. We look at it and I think, well, I don't see anything on it. Yeah, I mean, what, what fascinates me and which I just do not understand is like my, my, my nephew mm-hmm. sits there, watches videos of other people playing games. Yes. Oh, no, no, this is huge. I mean, so Amazon bought a company called Twitch TV. Yeah. Um, Twitch TV was bought for, I think, $900 million. Uh, they have the third largest online live concurrent audience when they uh, are broadcasting from a, a gaming event anywhere on the planet. I don't get that. But it's huge. Yeah. Well, you and, mean and, TikTok and, and, yeah. and randomly. So I mean, I've, I've been using a, a, a software product called Discuss, which is a 
a discussion platform. Yep. Um, and again, it's like it's now gone through the roof because it's now being used by gamers. Absolutely. And, you know, this was a techie platform yep. for discussing, you know, I mean, I've, I'm on the Pebble Watch as it's the rebirth, which is now called the Rebel Watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, it's a new software version for it. Yep. Um, you know, it was techie groups like that where you'd have a discussion forum and Absolutely. this is the new software updates we're doing, blah, blah, yep. blah, blah. N- now in gaming... Every gamer has a, di- a discussion. Well, it's, it's, it was spawned by Fortnite. So basically, Fortnite didn't have a great chat client, and Discuss was the one that was adopted by the main gamers, and that's how it became viral. I mean, I mean, this is the other thing that's amazing. I mean, fortunes are made and broken by these viral content plays, and I think that's the really interesting thing about where content's going at the moment. It's these platforms that enable. I think that's healthy, though. I think the entrepreneurs that are brave enough to build those platforms and put them out there and sustain them deserve all the success they get. I think it's, you know, we were lucky enough first time around. I think it's time for some other people. Yeah, no. The the other one that I want to talk about is Apple News uh, Plus, Mm -hmm. uh, which they announced. And what they've done is what they did to the radio uh, companies. They're trying to do to the media companies. So Apple bought a third-party company, and it uh, fails me now quickly, which basically had all the magazines. Um, right. It'll come back to me. It was an app. It was it was brilliant. Uh, they bought them. That's what the base of News Plus was, mm-hmm. where you could consume pages of a magazine, yep. a bit like singles from an album, rather than having to buy the whole magazine. Yep. And so they've managed to achieve that. Uh, the model is awful. The... the Companies get micro payments back, the, the content producers, yep. based on people's attention. Yep, metering, engagement. Yeah, I mean, it's something we've spoken about for 25 years, right? I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the model, but I think it will eventually have some bite. Um, I just wonder how you really monetize that engagement. I mean, I, I, I can't see it myself, but. Well, I can't see it scaling enough to pay for the journalist to create the original content. That's the point, yeah. I mean, I mean, how do you actually get over the cost of content generation versus content monetization? I just don't see where the economics join up. No, and I, I, so if magazines aren't going to get all... Forget magazines, because that's just the wrong word. Yeah. If content creators of... So Medium's a really interesting company. Are you yeah. both subscribers to Medium? Yeah, yeah. I don't pay, but I have... I have so uh, you get your five and then you stop. Yeah, and then and, uh, I get this annoying no, message. I, Medium's great. Yeah, and look, there's a whole bunch of different sort of content grazing platforms that are awesome. Everything from Flipboard, which sort of does the aggregation which is, social... Which is should a, have been sold. Yeah, great product. Ex-Netscapers, of course, fine fellows. Um, yes. You know, so th- there are those t- sort of apps right the way through to discussion platforms, as you've rightly said, Steve, right the way through to things like Medium, which is a much more professional content-driven thing, through to semi-amateur, semi-pro with things like Pinterest and stuff. So there's a lot of cool stuff out there. I still think that the coordination of content is something that needs to happen because without curation, there's too much there and you suffer from overeating. Yep. And so that notion of relevance is critical. And I still don't think anybody's really cracked that. No, they haven't. I mean, the, the app store on, on, on Apple iTunes, billion apps plus, whatever. Yeah. I, I, and I actually have less apps on my phone than I did five years ago. Yeah. Because I've just got sick and tired. There hasn't been a, an app that I've gone, oh, you know, it's probably the same apps now. Uh, I look at podcasts, you know, my own included. How do people discover it? I mean, you know, we, we, we put it back onto every platform out there from Spotify to Google Play to iTunes and hope that people discover it. Yeah. But there isn't any content creation, not unless you're a big company who can afford to 
tap the door of Apple editors and go, <clears throat> can you feature us as the podcast of the week this week or something? Exactly. You know? I mean, and you say that that notion of somebody undertaking that curation for you, um, I think it's key. And what, what I find fascinating is for the people who are genuinely interested in that sort of deep content dive, uh, so the podcasts I follow are incredibly boring. There's clearly your own, Sam. But there are... Thanks. There's, there's, <laughs> there, there are some uh, rugby ones that I find quite interesting. Uh, and then there's some uh, stuff that relates to film. Um, and those are a combination of authentic and authoritative content sort of merged together. But I've had to find those, and it's taken years to pull that content into an aggregated form that makes it consumable. But uh, I still don't think anybody's nailed content... Uh, curation in the right way at this point. Any thoughts on how we do it? Uh, dreading to say it, AI probably. Okay. Um, if you take the view that there's so much new content created on a day by day basis, it's this notion of relevance, pattern of how something is described, format in which it's described, contribution, subject, that tagging, and then knowing how long I dwell on one thing and how similar the next thing is to it and whether there's any association. Those sorts of things are pretty cool. I mean, search would be good as well, wouldn't yep. it? I mean, I can't Absolutely. search voice through podcasts. I can't search pretty much through audible books. I mean, I'd love to be able to do a voice-related search and say, find me something on this topic, and up comes voice-enabled, not just... Uh, a web page enabled search yeah absolutely so media search thing i mean people are still tinkering with it aren't they but nobody's nailed that either so yeah i mean I, you know that that's going to be i think the, the the next stage forward and i think that's where somewhere like a google will do a great job because they they there's no doubt about it love them or hate them they've got the ability to pull that together and let's hope they do okay look <laughs> we're coming fast to the end of the show can you believe it i can't no it's, it's been very quick so um Paul, let's let's go back to what you basically started off with. We were talking about connected curb. So I love the idea. Um, I guess you're going to need hundreds of millions to really roll this out. Yeah, um, there's no doubt that the co the capital cost of deploying this is is hundreds of millions, if not more. Uh, whether that's a connected curb finding the capital to do that, whether it's a combination of public-private funding, whether it's debt-based funding, the really good news is that what we know is that this isn't dead money. This is money that will make a return because people pay for power and we know that we can monetize the data. So 12 months ago when we started talking to local authorities and councils, they were full of doom and gloom going, golly, this is a cost that we've got to bear. How are we going to make the money back? What we know is that a well-used charge point pays for itself in two or three years and the life cycle or the life useful life of a charge point can be anywhere from 10 to 15 years. So it's a profit centre as well, which is okay. great. Which we need. We do. And so, you know, we're incredibly positive about, about the future. And, um, yeah, the quantum is a bit frightening, but I'm sure there's a way of paying for it. Gentlemen, uh, it leaves me to say thank you very much for your time today. Steve, thank you very much for coming no in. No problem. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the future. Paul, wonderful seeing you again, mate. Uh, Thanks, mate. Good luck with Connected Curb. I'll be keeping an eye on that one. Sam, that show was amazing. To listen again, please visit our website, marlofm.co.uk, or visit our Facebook group, Sam Talks Technology. And now you can subscribe on iTunes. Never miss a show again. See you next week. Same time, same place.